Well, thank you so much for that, Rick. Um, we are excited to have a return guest on our uh, podcast uh, channel today. Um, Carrie Tanaka is uh, coming to us live from the University of Lethbridge Bookstore. And um, as we've mentioned previously, she has actively been involved in promoting literacy in schools and the community for more than 25 years as a bookseller and a dedicated book slash author supporter. Um, she has a BA from the University of Lethbridge and started out at Smith Books and B. Maccabees Booksellers before landing back on campus at the University of Lethbridge. Uh, she's passionate about connecting young readers with books that they will love and has become a trusted resource for teachers, librarians, parents, and children, assisting them in book selections that inspire a love of reading and discovery. Welcome, Carrie. Thank you. Thanks for having me back for a second time to talk about books. Well, and I'm going to, this is, this is the warning for all of you folks. Now, the last time Carrie was here, there was a lot of add to cart movements uh, happening um, on my computer in the background here. And I'm guessing that this episode um, will be no different. So friends, if you too have a book buying problem, uh, you might want to like uh, hide your credit card or ask your child to hide your credit card, it, although they might need to give it back to you later. Um, because I assure you that the list that Carrie is going to share with us today, you will find something on it. And it's a little bit different than some of our previous um, or other guests in that Carrie's going to book talk us through a whole bunch of different selections. So she's going to share some of her favorites. Um, we might end up in the land of some you know, holiday season themed text, depending on where the conversation goes. Um, I might distract us with a little bit of a conversation about graphic novels because my son has recently discovered them and is consuming books at a rate that is not sustainable. Uh, so I might need some additional ideas from Carrie because I know she is the lady with all of the ideas. So with that said, Carrie, I'm going to turn it over to you to start to start us off with some of your suggestions. Um, and thanks again for joining us today. Thank you. Um, so I guess I should say that uh, I'm going to be talking about some of my favorites that I've read in the last year or so. Um, I tend to focus on book talking books that um, are hot off the presses or or still warm off the presses. Um, hopefully things that you haven't heard about, about yet. Um, and every book that I read ends up being my favorite at the time because there's so many books out there that I don't, I don't finish a book that I don't love. So I like, I only read the books that I love. So if everybody's always asking me, um, why do you have so many favorites is because I only read ones that I'm, I know are going to be my favorites by the, <laughs> by the time I'm at the end. Um, so I'm going to bounce around from different, uh, in different genres, different age categories, and hopefully get a, um, a breadth of offerings for you and your listeners. Um, and uh, you're always welcome. You and all of your listeners are always welcome to uh, send us an email at bookstore at ulet.ca if you're looking for anything specific or if you want more information on anything that we've talked about or, or haven't talked about. We're always happy to, uh, to leave our um, business spreadsheets <laughs> and talk about the books that we're reading instead. So um, yes, so we welcome that. And also we love to hear about how you feel about some of the books that we're talking about or, or your students or your kids or um, whatever. We always like to get a lot of feedback um, to, to see if we're getting the right books into the, the right hands at the right times. So the, the one that I want to start with is um, a nonfiction book called Accountable by Dashka Slater. 
Um, the full title is Accountable, the true story of a racist social media account and the teenagers whose lives it changed. And I know that seems like a pretty heavy one to start off with um, um, for like a holiday um, book talk, but but this one I have to talk about because I think every teenager, parent, caregiver, teacher, librarian, principal, administrator, school boards, everybody needs to read this um, this book because it is so relevant on so many levels. Um, the thing I love about Dashka Slater is she writes a very balanced um, um, narrative throughout where she has interviewed so many different people across so many different perspectives. And she writes from a place of compassion as well for teenagers and how teenagers think and how teenagers are um, vulnerable and they make mistakes. And she agrees that people and teens should be held accountable for their actions, but to what level should that be? So she really makes this question as adults, like should they be treated like adults or not? And what level of culpability and, and accountability um, do they have when they're still still learning? But she doesn't let anybody off the hook. I don't want to make it seem like she lets people off the hook. She absolutely does not. Um, but she just writes from a place of empathy and compassion for teens, which I really appreciate. So in this particular one, um, sorry, Charlie, were you going to say something? <laughs> well, I just, you know, it's funny whenever I have like a book that's shown up for whatever reason, multiple times. So that book, this book that you're talking about has shown up like a couple of times in my, my feed, my social media feed. And then I was at a, an event and, um, one of the school, um, ATA regions that I went and supported their ATA, um, PD committee actually bought copies and is doing a book study of this book. And so now you're like the fourth person to bring this book into like my radar. And I feel like that's the universe usually telling me that this is like a, a must, must read, yeah. must have. I really think it is. And I think it's a great one to, to start conversations, you know, like both, both professionally and, um, with young people and with community members. Um, it's one that I'm actually just dropping into people's hands. Like I had somebody, an educator come in the other day who I normally recommend books to. And I said, I, I have a book for you. I'm not recommending it to you. I'm just giving it, I'm just putting it in your hands and you're going to take it and you're going to read it. And then you're going to come back and we're going to talk about it when you're done. Um, just because I know that he's really interested in, um, in, in leadership and how decisions impact communities and like school communities and the, and the community beyond. Um, but this one is about a group of, of teens who um, actually one single teen started uh, an Instagram, a private Instagram group um, and invited other kids to it. And they were posting very horribly racist um, memes and, and making comments about some of their classmates at school. And so the other classmates found out about it and the story spread and, and it just obviously um, blew up and it became a, a school community issue initially. And so you have the school trying to figure out how they're going to um, deal with these kids who have uh, obviously done something extremely inappropriate um, and also trying to figure out at what level um, each of them should be disciplined um, because initially they're all like, hey, everybody that's involved should have equal discipline. But then the kids start explaining, well, but I was just a follower of the account. I didn't actually post anything. I didn't actually like anything. How come I'm getting disciplined to the same extent as the kid that started the, uh, the Instagram um, feed. And then you have other students who have commented or have liked things. And then, so what level are they held accountable? And then you have the victims who are struggling and, and you have teachers who come to school the next day and they suddenly have um, victims and um, perpetrators for lack of a better term, um, sitting in the same classroom together and, and trying to navigate that. 
um, all the while, while you have administration and the school board trying to address not only what's going on in their school community, but the community as a whole who um, are demanding answers for this, uh, this incident that occurred um, within the walls of their school. And, and, you know, um, it's just, it's super, super interesting. And the, the big takeaway that I had from it is how different teenagers and kids view their interactions on social media than we do as adults. Um, and uh, I think that that is really important. A really important perspective to have is um, you have some kids that are saying the way that I engage with social media is I just fly through and I like everything. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, you know, raise my, or, or change the algorithm to show me different things. And I just want to like, and be part of everything. It doesn't matter what it is. I'm not even really looking at it. Um, and uh, yeah, just the way that they interact with things and the different, you know, we sit there and say, well, if you see something, say something, how could you be part of this group and not say something? And they're like, well, I kind of just, some of them are saying, I just joined it out of curiosity. And when I realized it wasn't for me, then I just stopped. I just started scrolling past it. Well, why didn't you leave it? Well, why should I have left it? I was scrolling past it. Was there net, was it necessary for me to leave it? I wasn't interacting with it. So just super, super fascinating. And um, she writes in such short, snappy chapters from different perspectives. Sometimes she writes, you know, maybe a, a poem that reflects a myriad of feelings from across the community. And I found myself flip-flopping. I'm like, oh, I'm totally on this person's side. And then read the next couple of pages like, oh no, I'm totally on this person's side. And it's just, you know, you're just constantly changing your, your, your thinking as you're working through this book. But Dashka just does an amazing job at writing nonfiction for, um, for young people. Um, she wrote 57 bus as well a few years ago. If you haven't read that one, you should as well. But like I said, she's just so compassionate. So if you work with teens or preteens, she's so compassionate about the challenges that they face, um, right now currently. And she's just on point. So yeah, that one is the one that I would say must read, must read for every, sure. Every time we talk about like social media with kids and teens and like how their lives are shaped in a way that is completely out of touch of how, you know, any of ours were shaped. I just think like, thank goodness social media wasn't a thing when I was, a, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like as a generation dodged a bullet because we didn't have to deal with this stuff that that our kids are dealing with. And which also means that we're not, we don't have the background knowledge and the understanding sometimes to deal with those things either. And so when we can read a book that helps us build that understanding or ask those tough questions, that's huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. And like, I talk to my teens about social media and even about things like doorbell cameras and different things like that. And it's just a whole other level of, um, what's the word? They just, there's just no privacy for them. Everything is so out there and so public. And what does that mean to, you know, how they interact with each other and, and stuff like that. So, but anyway, I just, I thought it was so, so relevant um, to today and so well done. And I gained so much understanding from the way that she put this together and from just being so honest and letting the kids and teens have a really strong voice throughout on both sides. Right. So, um, and then trying to rebuild the community from there. So um, yeah, so that one is definitely a must read. Do you see that as a um, junior, senior high? I could see it. Like it is written um, in a way that um, preteens like middle school would be just fine reading it. Um, probably more relevant in, I would say like grade eight, um, and up, but middle schoolers are, are engaging in social media um, as well. And even probably before that, but I think it's definitely too high for elementary, something for parents to read and discuss with 
any child who is is going to have social media in the palm of their hands. Um, um, but yeah, I think it's good for junior high, senior high, like all the way up. And like I was saying, it would be an excellent, I'm glad to hear that, uh, that groups are using it for like kind of professional development and, um, and that kind of thing. I think that is a really important level and, and, um, experience to have. And I also have a copy that I want to gift to, um, to my school board here, my kids school board here, just because I think it's one that just needs to be spread around and, and people need to, uh, like I said, anybody that, that works with kids and especially with teens, um, or as a caregiver, every team needs to understand their perspective on the whole thing. Um, and the pressures that, that get placed on them, if they make a mistake in social media or do something horrible on social media, what does that do? What does that one moment of posting do, um, for the rest of their lives, the impact it has on them when a community just comes down hard on them. Right. So I feel like if, if I knew about this book as a parent, that I would, as I sit down and I know one of my daughters gave a cell phone to her daughter at the end of grade six as she was going into grade seven. And now I find myself thinking with the phone and just before the phone, here's a book that I want you to read. I've already read it. And as you read this over the next week and a half or so, uh, I'd like to have some conversations with you. And then after you finished reading this book, I will, I have this phone for you, but it's like, as a parent, this is how we're going to transition you into having your own phone is you're going to start with this now. That's just a thought. Mm -hmm, definitely. Yeah. It would definitely be an excellent primer for that. And um, how actions have consequences, right. And how you end up hurting people that you never intended to hurt. Like the, yeah. one of the, one of these kids that um, was really involved in the group. They, I mean, they were friends with some of the, um, the students whose photos were being posted online and just that mm -hmm. lack of understanding of what that meant and how it would make their friends feel right. Because they thought it was all anonymous and that nobody would find out. So anyway, um, yeah, it's just, that's the one. <laughs> um, Charlie, our job might be to, uh, look at how we could build up a um, learning goal for parents uh, to go with this uh, book. Yeah, great. Okay, idea. Carrie, next next uh, title. All right. So the next title is a middle grade title, but I would say that it could extend up to um, high school as well. Um, that I um, also think is a is a must read. Um, it's called The Probability of Everything by Sarah Everett. Um, now I will see Charlie's nodding. You've heard about this one before too, as well. I, I bet. So Sarah Everett's Canadian, so it makes it even. Uh, um, better in my books, but we have a Canadian author um, that we can highlight. Um, it's emotionally heavy. Like, I'm not going to lie. It's very emotionally heavy. But if you have those those uh, readers who like a, um, a heavy, sad, but hopeful story, then this is definitely um, um, one for their list. Um, and it's so engaging and unique on a couple of levels. First of all, um, the, the protagonist, Kemi, she is a young girl who loves math loves math, specifically statistics and probability, because that is how she makes sense of the world around her is by applying statistics and probability to everything. So now imagine being a young girl who is obsessed with statistics and, and probability, and you wake up one morning and there is a giant purple meteor hanging in the sky and uh, you know that it's coming towards earth. So she immediately looks up. Um, what is the, what is the chance that this meteor 
will collide with the earth. And she learns that there is an 84.7% chance that this meteor is going to hit the earth in four days and cause a catastrophic event. Um, So what do people do when you're faced with such a big event that's about to happen in four days? Well, her and her family decide to go and hunker down at one of the a family member's house with their aunt um, and uh, other family members, cousins and um, other people um, all come to this home and they decide we're going to spend these last four days um, all together. And uh, one thing that she really desperately wants to do is leave behind a time capsule. Um, So she wants a time capsule just in case there are any survivors of this event, just in case the earth should have anybody else inhabit it down the road. She wants her family to and their legacy to be remembered. So she starts to try to figure out what is the one thing that represents each member of her her family that she can place in this time capsule. Um, In the meantime, she has a best friend who is still going to school. There are still kids that are going to school. There are still teachers going to teach. There are still people that are going to the diner down the street and and having lunch like it's no big deal. And, And so she's thinking, is this her coping mechanism? Is this how... They're dealing with um, with the the last four days that we're likely going to be um, on Earth, and I know like it sounds like super depressing and everything else, but it's just really interesting and really intense because you're following the timeline down from four days to three days to two days, um, and I'll tell you, it is hard, and I'm not one to jump to the back of books for any reason, but this one was so hard to not jump straight to the end and find out what is going to happen to Kemi and her family and her friends and everybody like what is going to happen. Um, So I had to like, just kind of lock my fingers around the back (laughs) pages of the book so that I could not flip to the back. Um, And then there's this incredible plot twist that happens, um, which makes this book a little bit challenging to talk about because it's such a major event in the book, but you can't really say what it is because you'll spoil it. So you just have to read it to find out what that big plot twist is. I did not see it coming, um, but I love a good plot twist as, uh, as everybody that I book talk to knows. Um, But it is one of those ones where I like to say it's type of plot twist where you just have to set the book down, walk away for a minute, process, and then come back and then finish reading the book and then flip back and try to figure out were there clues? Were there any hints to that? Or, um, but yeah, I, I haven't found any. So I just think it is an extremely unique um, book about uh, um, lots of empathy building, lots of family connections, um, and just the intensity of that countdown is, oh, it's incredible. That's awesome. I love a good, you know, pre-dystopia book, <laughs> pre, <laughs> pre-apocalypse book. <laughs> Where is the story set? Um, where is it set? Oh my goodness, I can't remember exactly where it's set. I, I just asked because the Canadian author, so is it yeah. set in, somewhere in Canada or not? But it, not it that is it needs like, to be. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure that it is, but I can't remember specifically. I was so engaged in the timeline, Rick, of this countdown. Yeah, <laughs> I think my, my mind shut off to all other details. It's like, what's going to happen when it hits day one? Um, but I believe it does have a Canadian setting, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Well, and I think it just won an award. Here we go, Edmonton's we go. Sarah. Uh, yep, beautiful. Thank you to the big interweb. Uh, yeah. Edmonton's Sarah Everett has been awarded one of the country's most prestigious book awards. Her book, The Probability of Everything, was announced as the winner of the Governor General's Literary Awards 
in the category of young people's literature text. So there you go, Carrie. Excellent. And very, very well deserved. And uh, yeah, it's just, (laughs) you'll hold your breath through the whole thing. Um, So since I've done a couple of sort of heavier ones, let's try one that is a little bit funnier. Um, One of my favorite picture books this year is called Seals Are Jerks by Jared Chapman. Um, You have to check out the cover of this one um, when you have a chance. It has such whimsical illustrations. And um, my colleague, Becky Colbeck and I here, we ordered that one simply because it was called Seals or Jerks. And we saw the cover. We had no idea what it was about. We didn't have to look up what it was about. It was like, this is a book that we need to carry. And we were not disappointed at all, at all, at all, at all. So what this one is about is um, a little girl who is obsessed with, with seals. She's done all the research. She has this big class presentation, um, all built out. So she's going to convince her classmates that, um, that seals are awesome. And she's standing in front of the class and she's giving her presentation. And I wish I could show you the, the two page spread of the, this illustration, because it makes me laugh every time because you have the, the, the girls facing out to the class and you have the classmates backs are all to you as the reader. And you have, um, this student with their hand up saying like, no, seals are jerks. But as the reader, you can see that uh, it's the back of a penguin lifting its little fin up saying seals are jerks. And so they have a little discussion. She's like, well, you're going to have to prove it. And so off they go to the Antarctica where the seal or where the, sorry, where the penguin is going to prove that seals are jerks. And so the girl learns that seals are jerks according to penguins because seals eat penguins. And so the girl is horrified and she's like, you're right. Seals are jerks. And so another big argument ensues and all of, all of them decide, you know, we can, we can reach a compromise. We can get along. We have a backpack full of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. So why don't we try eating these? And if we're all happy to sustain ourselves on peanut butter and jam sandwiches, then we can all be friends. And they agree that peanut butter and jam sandwiches are pretty good. And, and they can all agree that they can, um, um, they don't need to, um, eat each other. Um, but if they really want to be great friends, they should share, they should try to find more friends and they should share. And then on the, on the last page, when the seal is saying, well, who should we share with? Well, up comes a killer whale <laughs> propped up on the iceberg. <laughs> so it's really hilarious. It's got, uh, it doesn't have a ton of words. It has very vibrant pictures. So really fun read aloud. There's tons of nonfiction facts about Antarctica at the back of it. Um, and we've been talking about, or talking to te- a lot of teachers, elementary school teachers about this one and science teachers, and they just are excited about, oh, we could open a lesson plan on the food chain on this or on the environment or all kinds of research projects, all different um, kinds of things that they can use this book for. Um, but I just think too, just on the simple level of you need a funny read aloud to, uh, to read with your kids, to get a giggle and a laugh. Um, and get them engaged with the pictures and, um, and whatnot. So this one, yeah, one of my favorite um, funny picture books of the year. So did you say there are facts at the end of the book, Carrie? There, there are, there's a list of facts on, um, on Antarctica at the, at the end of the book. Awesome. So um, for any teachers that are working in grade five and six, that would be an example of a hybrid text. It includes fiction and nonfiction. And that is a genre that is included in our new curriculum. So if you're looking for a hybrid text to suggest or read, 
that sounds like a really interesting, uh, easy slide in um, of, of that particular book type. And in our ongoing support of resource identification, once again, this is another one that we can easily grab and build out a little piece to add to our website. It'll be on the blog post that accompanies this episode, uh, but uh, build in a little bit of uh, some support for teachers to use in the classroom. Fantastic. I love the cover. I, as we're going, I'm building the list of, of uh, covers and little write-ups to put in the blog post and uh, are not, says the seal as he pokes his head out of the water. <laughs> I'm just trying to live here. Peanut butter and jelly, the solution to all of our problems. <laughs> so true. Um, and I'm glad you brought up hybrid texts, Charlie, because we've been getting a lot of requests um, for hybrid texts. And um, there seems to be some, um, in some cases, some confusion about what the definition of a hybrid text is, right? Like trying to figure out the nuances of what exactly that means. So um, yeah, there's lots of, of great picture books that do have uh, have a lot of nonfiction um, in the back. So yeah, so technically yeah. that is a that is considered a hybrid as per the like the curriculum definition. Um, and it's interesting because I'm finding teachers are sometimes confusing hybrid with multimodal. Um, and those are not the same things. And so we really need to see that, that nonfiction piece partnered with fiction. Um, Joyce Sidman is prolific in this particular book type, where she has some kind of a poetry typically on one page, and then facts about whatever the poem topic is on the, as part of the double page spread. And so um, like she's got one on pond animals and another one on winter, winter bees, I think is another one of hers. Um, but I can send you a book list, Carrie, that has some hybrid text samples, if, if that's of help um, to you. And we can definitely link it as well in our notes, because, I, because it's mentioned in the curriculum, people are like, oh, what is that? And I'm not gonna lie, like I had to Google it um, when I read the curriculum, because I didn't <laughs> know what it was. <laughs> Yeah, samples would be really helpful just to make sure that we're not leading people astray when we're giving our recommendations because, yeah, we, we kind of thought we knew what it was and and you saying that that is a hybrid like seals or jerks, um, that kind of uh, makes me feel more, more comfortable that what we're recommending is accurate. So um, awesome. So let me tell you about another picture book that I just fell in love with. Um, called 10 Word Tiny Tales to Inspire and Unsettle. So um, if you have anybody on your holiday shopping list that is an aspiring writer, or even just a writer who might stumble into some, some writing block now and again, this one would be awesome. Um, and this is another one that I think would work great for all ages, elementary all the way up through high school. Um, it kind of has a Mysteries of Harris Burdick feel, if you guys remember that book, where uh, it has these like little um, short story starters. So the author of this one, um, Joseph Coelho, has teamed up with a whole bunch of different uh, illustrators. So every two-page spread is a different illustrator. So you get great variety of illustrations. And then Joseph has written a 10-word, what he calls a 10-word tiny tale to just tell you this little story about, uh, about the illustration, but he challenges readers at the beginning that if you are brave enough reader to become a writer, 
and flesh out these 10 word tiny tales, then you should do that. You should, you should continue to tell this story. Um, and, uh, there are whimsical ones. There are some in there that are so, so scary and creepy. Like one that, uh, that, that sticks out in my head is, um, one about tiny robots. I, I'll have to paraphrase because I can't remember. I don't have the book right in front of me, but, um, but there's one about how the robots remove their batteries at night while the family slept. And, and one page is the robots removing their, their batteries and the family's all asleep in the house. And the second page is the robots still completely animated and going off on this like wild adventure and um, which is like super whimsical, but I also found that terrifying. <laughs> like how, how are the robots still animated? They don't have batteries. Like how, like that's really scary. Um, so I can just imagine what, uh, what students are, or would, would write with something like that. There's, there's another one that, uh, that talks about being x-rayed and there were notes etched on, on the, their bones after they were x-rayed, they noticed that there's little notes. And if you look at the, uh, at the illustration, the illustration says something like expires in, and then has a date. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's just, it's so whimsical and fun. And, um, and scary. And again, something that you could just use for all ages. Like I could see um, some of these spreads, if not all of them, really appealing even to grade 12 students who are really into creative writing and want some inspiration. And then at the end of the book, um, Joseph shares a whole bunch of writing tips. Like if you're stuck, if you don't know where to get started, then here's some writing tips for you. And um, including things like, you know, draw your own illustration, start with an illustration and then start writing based on your illustration, just like what he's done throughout the book. Um, he talks about free writing, um, all kinds of different ways on, on how to just, just get yourself out of that writing rut and just start writing is basically what he's inviting you to do. Just write. <laughs> so love it, love it, love it. Um, you have to flip through it. The illustrations are phenomenal and it will definitely inspire um, people to finish off these, these 10 word tiny tales. I loved uh, the mysteries of Harris Burdick. Like that was, uh, and I remember like sometime in, when I was doing my work at the University of Lethbridge as a student, learning about it. And it was one of the very first things I purchased for my classroom because I loved the picture so much. Um, so this one has definitely been added to the cart. Absolutely looks great. It looks like he has a new book coming out that, or recently come out called the. Uh, the boy lost in the maze that's been nominated for a medal for writing in 2024 Carnegie medal shortlisted. Awesome. I'm, I wrote down that other title cause I definitely need to look that one up. Um, but yeah, it definitely gave me mystery of Harris Burdick feels and, and there are spreads in there that you'll never forget. Like with me and mystery of Harris Burdick, it's the one with the girl skipping. Is it a girl, the child skipping a rock across the water. And it says something about how the rock came back to her after she skipped it. And like that just, I remember that giving me chills and, uh, and 10 word tiny tales has the same, um, same chills. Oh, the other spread that I just have to share, because I can just imagine it being a Halloween prompt. It has this really, really creepy, um, illustration of these pe I believe they're people and they're, they're dressed in almost like a rabbit suit. It looks like, and they're carrying a coffin and it says, uh, something along the lines of they buried her on a Thursday a Friday and again on a Saturday, I might have the days wrong, but basically this whole idea that they, they have to keep burying her. Like what can you imagine the stories that you would get um, out of a high school class with something as 
eerie and creepy as that. I just think that's amazing. Um, well, yeah. And you could spin it in like so many ways, right? Like write it from her perspective, write it from the perspective of the guy that he has to keep digging the hole or whatever, right? Like how you could have that same prompt shifting perspectives of, um, who's seeing what and then bringing them all together in sort of like class composition-y sort of uh, a collection that would be so cool all right ready. so speak sorry no I was gonna say what's next I'm ready all right I am going to do another middle grade novel um that uh you know speaking of of books that bring back a lot of memories um it it's called Obasan's Boots by Janice Bridger and Lara Jean Okihiro. And this is based on the, it's, it's fiction, but it's based on the author's um, grandmother and her story during the Japanese internment. And so this one reminded me so much of my, my childhood growing up. So it just really hit me. It's a, it's a nice um, short book. It's only 160 pages. So it's not, it's not, um, overly um, lengthy. So if you have students who are, um, you know, striving readers or trying to build up the reading stamina, especially post COVID, then this would be a good one um, to put in their hands. It's meant for, uh, for middle grade. It's, it's recommended for ages nine to 12, but again, because of the historical uh, fiction content of it, I think that, um, that the topic would be just fine for, for high school as well. If you need something for a high school student, that, that is a little bit, um, um, lighter in terms of vocabulary and that kind of thing. Um, but the reason that this one really touched me is because it's about cousins who are going to a family reunion at Obasan's house and they live in different parts of the country. Um, Obasan lives in Toronto and, uh, and so does one of the cousins and one of the other cousins is traveling from Vancouver and they're old enough now to try to figure out why do their families live where they do across Canada? What is their identity? Why, like, what are some of these conversations that happen around the dinner table about uh, about the war and and whatnot um and so um they they first gather around the table for a meal and it's a mishmash of japanese foods and and north american foods and um i i this food spread that they had is exactly the food spread that we had growing up <laughs> so I, I thought like oh we were the only family when we had a reunion that had all this this uh weird mishmash of food where you know, we have uh, Obasan's futomaki and, and the rice and the green tea, and there's always a fish on the table and, and different things like that. But there was always, 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 and same with, with this family, there was always roast beef with gravy, which seemed out of place, but everybody wanted the roast <laughs> beef with gravy because everybody wanted gravy on their rice because that was like the thing to die for. And then this, that, this family had that too in Toronto. So I'm like, it's so cool. There's so many connections with families and memories surrounding food. Um, and so, um, Obasan takes the girls out into the garden to help her, um, to help her out in the garden while they're out there, she starts to share the stories of her, um, growing up and, and going through the internment and, and all of those experiences. And the girls are able to gain better understanding of who they are, who they are as a family, um, how, yeah, why one of them is in Vancouver right now and why one of them is in Toronto. Um, so I just love the historical uh, aspect of it as well. Um, and again, like this one has pictures and stuff at the back too, like nonfiction pictures of of the families and stuff. So maybe you might fit into that hybrid text idea too, because the the authors share um, some of the the real life experiences of grandma who this novel is based on. So yeah, I just really, really 
loved it. I thought it was a very sweet, um, sweet story. And, um, and just that, that whole idea, like our, our Japanese grandmothers, they're so quiet and they're so reserved, but they're so strong and so resilient. Mm. And I think as kids, we always, um, knew we always, a piece of us always knew how strong they were in that kind of silent <laughs> silence that they had. Um, but, uh, but to go back and revisit it as an adult and revisit that time of their lives and recognize like how young they were and everything that they went to went through, um, for the sake of their families and, oh gosh. And as a mother now, like, how could I possibly ever, ever imagine going through anything like that? So, you know, like standing on the shoulders of the women before us, right. is just, I just think about that a lot as an adult, um, reading back and looking back. That, that is very beautiful. It's, it's taken me back to, I, I lived for two years in Japan and, and had opportunity to engage with many uh, Oba-sons, which is Japanese for grandma, and uh, particularly in Okinawa. And those grandmas in Okinawa uh, had survived the last hand-to-hand -hand battle of World War II. And uh, that was a horrific time as a they were used as as human shields by the Japanese military in that battle, um, and it, my mind goes to that, and and now thinking of the grandmas and moms that are fighting for survival uh, in in conflicts around the world today. It's always grandmas, moms, and children, right? I said to Charlie, it doesn't matter. There's no war anywhere where it's okay to kill children, and and that extends to and moms and grandmas, but but they are often that and the, the struggles that they have. But your comment about the quiet resolve, I learned how to read Japanese by reading to a lady who saw the bomb explode in Nagasaki. And uh, at the time that I met her, she was definitely a, of grandma age, but sadly she had not remarried and her husband had disappeared during the war and had no children. Uh, but she still had this grace that you you wonder where that comes from for having survived what she had survived and seen what she had seen in her life. Her husband disappeared, never to be heard from again. Uh, her last letter from him was from Iwo Jima, which hit me hard when I watched the movie Letters from Iwo Jima, uh, which is a fantastic and tragic movie to watch. Uh, I'll just, for our listeners, Clint Eastwood shot two movies at the same time. Letters from Iwo Jima and Flags of Our Fathers, one from the American point of view of the battle and the other from the Japanese point of view of the battle. All right. So speaking of the Japanese internment, I wanted to bring to your attention another picture book that just came out called Shizue's Path by Mark Sakamoto and illustrated by Rachel Wada. Um, this one has a Southern Alberta um, connection and a Lethbridge connection um, because the Sakamoto family, um, as you may know, um, ended up... Um, coming to Southern Alberta during the internment um, to work on sugar beet farms and, and whatnot. So Shizue is uh, Mark Sakamoto's great um, aunt, who this book is, is based on. And she has a really um, um, interesting story be, um, because she has, we follow her journey from the West coast through the internment camps, um, being relocated into Southern Alberta, um, but she carried on to um, become an activist against the deportation of Japanese Canadians after the war ended. Um, so you have that activism piece. But the thing that makes this story really unique, this picture book, is that um, it's written from the perspective of the grandma 
and uh, and she's pouring tea, but she is speaking to you as the reader, as if you're the one that's sitting there having tea with her, which I thought was really interesting. Um, and I just love how um, how she speaks and and talks about needing to know the dark parts of your story in order to really be able to experience the light. So even though there are parts of our lives that we might not want to talk about or are more difficult to talk about, the importance of sharing the difficult parts of, of our life stories is really important um, as well so that we can gain that understanding. Um, there is a very detailed timeline at the end that I thought was really helpful. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with Rachel Wada as an illustrator, but oh my goodness, like beautiful, beautiful um, illustrations throughout this book. So um, yeah, I, I needed to bring that one to your attention for sure. Another one that I really wanted to talk about because it is so fun is a middle grade novel called Seamus the Urban Res Dog. And um, this is by uh, Leslie Gentile. This, it's another Canadian, Canadian book. It's about an urban Indigenous family who is gifted a res dog by their uncle. Now, um, also next door to this family is um, another very hoity-toity poodle who the res dog does not understand because the res dog is used to, you know, just having sort of um, free reign of the environment and, and very like living very loose and free. And he does not understand why this poodle next door is so high maintenance. So um, as you can probably guess, by the way, I'm talking, um, Seamus, the urban res dog PI is written from the perspective of Seamus, the urban res dog. And his family gets caught up in this, in this mystery um, in the sense that mom, who has been working at this jewelry store for many, many years, gets accused of stealing jewelry because jewelry starts to mysteriously go missing from the store. And because mom is indigenous, she is, um, she's getting falsely accused. So um, the great thing about Leslie is that she doesn't shy away from kind of racial tensions and, and whatnot, but um, it, she does it in a way that is not super heavy for young readers. There is a lot of humor in this book. There is a lot of um, just downright silliness and and um, mistakes and accusations, like false accusations and um, and just hijinks and fun. Um, but like I said, she doesn't shy away from from some of the more difficult topics either. Well, she kind of slide them into the into the narrative in a way that, you know, it's there. But that's not necessarily what the book is is fully about. So Seamus is hilarious because Seamus wants to help solve this mystery. He's li literally sniffing out clues as he goes, but he doesn't speak human. So he has to try to get the attention of his of his kids. Right. And who are also trying to solve this mystery simultaneously to help. Um, exonerate mom from the accusations that are being lodged against her. And uh, so just the him trying to communicate with his people is hysterically funny. Um, but uh, yeah, this is one that I definitely uh, would recommend. The cover's awesome. If you look at the cover, it's just this adorable dog with his tongue hanging out and it's nice and bright and joyful. And uh, I think sometimes we need these nice, bright, joyful books that demonstrate diversity and, and, um, and, but aren't books about issues, like big, heavy issues, you know? So, um, I hope that this one will become a series because I think we need more Seamus, um, solving crimes for sure. And I'd like to see how Seamus's relationship develops with the hoity-toity poodle next door. 
<laughs> oh my gosh, that would be so funny. It makes me think of like the littlest hobo, <laughs> you know, going and solving and helping out, dating myself a little bit there. Well, but great. Have, have it, Carrie, I wonder, you, you hope it'll become a series. Have you sent that email uh, to Leslie Gentile saying, hey, is this a possibility? I have not, but I should. And I should probably poke her publisher while I'm at it and say like, hey, because <laughs> you know what? Like a good detective series is always hot, right? And if you have characters that you just, you know, love and adore, then it makes it even better. Well, and then CBC could definitely pick stand to pick it up and uh, make a series of it. <laughs> Wouldn't that be we should, cute? We should copyright this plan right now, friends, just in case it comes back. <laughs> it started here, started here on the podcast. All right. I'm going to jump to a young adult book. This one is definitely young. <clears throat> pardon me. This one's definitely young adult. So high school for sure on this one, because it's mature content. Um, but um, I know so many young adults right now who are all over the horror genre and always looking for something new and interesting to read. And so I want to bring Ryan LaSala's new one, Beholder, to your attention. Um, Ryan LaSala writes terrifying <laughs> absolutely terrifying books for young adults. And uh, I often think when I'm reading his books, like, man, I would like to get inside his head for 30 seconds just to see what's going on inside that head. And then I read a few more pages. I'm like, no, absolutely not. I do not need to get inside Ryan LaSala's head. I'm perfectly fine. Um, and the reason, <clears throat> pardon me, um, the reason I say that is because Ryan writes horror, but, and it's, and again, terrifying. And, and at some points, like, you know, quite violent and graphic, but he is so smart in the way he writes and so creative. And I have never read horror novels where I fall so deeply head over heels for um, the characters and what they're going through and um, the empathy that I develop with uh, for them and how I just want to know that they're going to be okay. And are they okay? And, um, you know, we've talked about this in the past where you read books where the characters stick with you and, and five years after reading the book, you're, you're thinking about them as if they're real people. Like, I wonder how that character is, <laughs> is doing right now, even though they don't exist outside the book, but they do somehow transcend the pages of the book and you want to know how they are. Um, so in this one, um, Oh, the cover's awesome. It's a spider, a silver spider kind of over this oozing eye. And uh, it has excellent end papers that are this like, you know, kind of vibrant red. Um, it looks like wallpaper covered in, in, uh, in spiders, which is really, really cool. So it just has this really kind of important feel as soon as you open the book. It has one of the best first lines that I've ever read written in the, um, in second person. There are parts of this book that are written in second person and you don't know as the reader who is talking, but you want to know who's talking, but you don't know. And so it starts with this line and imagine reading this to a high school class and not grabbing their attention immediately. It says the Sunday night of the party, a few hours before everyone dies, a girl with bleached bangs is telling you all about her future. So... Ethan is at this party. He leaves to go to the bathroom and just take a break from things. And while he's in there, chaos starts to ensue outside of the bathroom door and he can hear screams and he can hear all kinds of commotion going on. Um, and somebody comes and pounds on the door and says, do not come out until I tell you to. And uh, so then he ends up coming out and this horrible scene is, is 
in front of them, which I won't explain because it's, it's fairly graphic and creepy and weird. Um, but what ends up happening is Ethan ends up pairing up with, um, with Dom, another boy to try to figure out what is going on. And you learn that Ethan carries this hereditary gift of being able to look into mirrors and rewind back the reflection to find out what has passed in front of that mirror before. And so Dom wants to use Ethan's abilities to help to figure out what, what is going on around them and what's creating this chaos. So Ethan is reluctant at first because his grandmother has always told him this is not a blessing. It's a curse, this gift. It's, it's not something that you should ever use. So Ethan's always tried to avoid mirrors whenever possible. Um, but um, because they need to sort of solve what's going on, Ethan decides that he's going to start to rewind mirrors again. And you soon learn that Ethan is looking at reflections, but there's also something or some things looking back at him from the other side of the mirror. So yeah, terrifying, but beautifully, beautifully written and extremely touching, which is such a weird juxtaposition of themes going on there where you're reading like you're just... <laughs> You don't want to read it in the dark, but at the same time, <laughs> you're so attached to these characters and, and the relationships that are forming and their backstories and everything else. So yeah, he's, he's, I just think he's just such a smart writer and not at all condescending to his young adult audience. He writes in a very, very high level way um, that, yeah, I, I just love that about him. They like, I'm writing for young adults, but I'm not going to dumb it down because I'm writing for young adults. I'm still going to be like really, really clever, really smart, really unique, um, really lyrical. Like I've never read horror that is so lyrical and beautifully written as, as his. So that's why I bring him to everybody's attention because he's just, he's, he's unique. I think he's just a special talent, um, but not for the faint of heart. <laughs> if you are not into <laughs> horror, then, uh, not a, yeah, it's not a book I'll be reading. It's not, it's not my lane. Uh, no, easily startled, easily. No, not mine, but definitely one I could see sharing. And it, that's a fascinating way. And I love, Carrie, I just love the way you describe books. Terrifying, but beautifully written. You know, I, I can think of so many of the books that we've had recommended to us uh, where the writing uh, the subject matter can be very, very heavy. Clint Smith's book about the his tour of several plantations that were slave plantations uh, is brilliantly written, tragic story, right? Uh, but just the writing is so sublime. So th th that's intriguing, but I still won't go down that path, but I can definitely share it with others. It's just, I need to be able to sleep and I already have enough problems. <laughs> So. <laughs> I, I was thinking the same thing. I read in bed at night in the dark. This is a no-go. <laughs> All right. So um, everyone loves uh, a good graphic novel and they, you know, they've been gaining in popularity for years and there is no um, stemming that tide. I don't think they're, they're here to stay. Um, and they, they are so amazing um, on so many levels and I, I just love them. So if you're not into graphic novels yet, I think the trick is just finding the right one that is going to capture your attention. That's what it took for me many years ago to finally, I finally picked one up and I'm like, I get it. I finally get it that, um, that 
the illustrations and, and the panels, there's no way that I could have gotten this level of story if it had just been written in prose. And that's when the light bulbs went on. And then I started just becoming a voracious reader of graphic novels. Um, so one of my, uh, my favorite uh, new ones is called Squire and Knight by Scott Chandler. So Scott Chandler is another Canadian author. And um, Squire Knight's another author who just writes in such a smart way where his stories are so multi-layered um, and hence good for a variety of ages. So Squire Knight is recommended for grades um, eight to 12, but I could see some of the deeper meaning behind this one um, being really appreciated in high school and even into university and beyond. Um, so Squire and Knight um, enter this village that is, uh, that's being attacked by a dragon. There's all kinds of chaos ensuing. Um, Squire doesn't have, is never actually named in, in the book because squires are generally just there to help the knight. It's the knight that's usually the hero of the story. Um, but knight comes barging in with all of his arrogance and bravado and he's going to save the day and, and uh, what's going on. He's asking the, the townspeople and everybody's telling him what's going on. Like this is happening and this is happening and this is happening. And so knight's like, great, got enough information. Off I go to slay the dragon. In the meantime, if you're watching squire storyline develop, He's more of a listener and he's more of an observer. And he's, uh, he's kind of this like, quiet observer in the background where he's starting to realize like, well, wait a minute. I don't think what all these townspeople are saying is actually matching up because this person over here said this, and this person over here said this. And, and um, you know, maybe we should like not just go barging in here, but night is not to be deterred. He's the hero of his own story and he's going to go and take care of things. So while night's going off to take care of things, Squire holds back and he starts to do more research <laughs> and, and tries to figure out what is really causing the chaos in this town, because these stories just sound sensationalized and they just don't ring true for me. So on the surface level, you get this really funny, um, engaging story about Squire Knight trying to save the town from the dragon. And there's this really cool ghost dog that appears, um, um, which is a, a really cool storyline in and of itself. But on a deeper level, you can really get into this whole idea of um, misinformation and how easily it spreads and how it's the sensational headlines that everybody is just glomming onto and they're not digging deeper into the into what's actually going on. Um, so just love it. And I also love at the end of many of these graphic novels, and Scott is no exception, how um, when you're done, they'll do a few pages of their process of creating the novel, like they're, you know, sketching out their storyboards and, and how their characters developed. And I just love to see some of those original raw sketches um, for anybody who's really interested in, in graphic novels as a form, or if they want to try their own, right? This looks amazing. Um, I've just found like a sample thing and the illustrations are fantastic and you can, you know, um, some great word choice in the language that you could pull out and you know do some word study with if that was your jam uh, from a teaching perspective um but uh, you know i love what you said to carrie earlier about um the the trick of understanding the graphic novel right that we need both port parts of text in order to build the storyline um, and for those folks that aren't used to using their visual skills to build that storyline, it can be challenging to transition over into the graphic novel as a genre. Yeah, absolutely. Like I find that people first 
like reading graphic novels for the first time, they are only reading the words and skimming through, right? And it's the same with picture books. If you're not a, an avid picture book reader and you're coming at a picture book as an adult, you oftentimes just skim through the words and you completely miss the pictures, right? And they're so important to the, the whole story. Um, yeah, so with, with graphic novels, like, yeah, you really have to slow down and you have to read um, every single word, but also take in every single panel and every single picture. And what is that telling me? And, um, and the gaps in between the panels too, right? Cause time passes sometimes in between each panel. So there's stuff happening in between those panels that you don't get to read about or see about. So it's just such an interesting, um, way to read and engage with a book. Very cool. You know, in the end, when we're reading books that are not graphic novels or picture books, what's happening in our mind, you know, we're, we're generating pictures, we're generating images, we're trying to, you know, how many people have picked up a book or uh, gone to the, or seen the trailer for a movie of a very popular book that was not ever a graphic novel. And they're like, oh, I would never have cast Robert Patterson for that position in Twilight. That, those were the words of my wife. He is not good looking enough. <laughs> that doesn't match up. <laughs> And I'm like, what well, doesn't match up with what? Well, in the book, I'm, and I haven't read, full disclosure, I haven't read the Twilight series, but uh, but still, that's what we do in our minds. And and you're absolutely right. Let's take the time. You know, hey, I read it. Yeah, did you look at any of the pictures? Uh, go back and, and take a look at the, that we talk about writer's choice all the time, illustrator's choice, is a huge piece of creating the entire picture of it. I have another graphic novel to share, and this one blew my mind with its creativity and everything. And this one is actually, um, it's a collection of short stories, but done in graphic novel form. And I'm just gonna advocate right now for needing more graphic novel short story collections. So if any publishers are listening, or maybe I'll just reach out and contact them. But I really, really loved that this was a collection of short stories. Um, so this one's called Courage to Dream, Tales of Hope in the Holocaust by Neil Schusterman and Andre Vera Martinez. Um, it is absolutely stunning and incredible. And what these two have done is they've taken... Um, a whole, or, or four, I believe there's four or five different stories in here. And each one depicts a different story of the Holocaust that is based in historical truth. And they have mashed that story together with Jewish folklore. So imagine if this, if you're telling a Holocaust story um, or during that time period, imagine if Gollum was there in the concentration camp, what would have happened if a Gollum was was in the concentration camp. What would have happened if Baba Yaga was real and existed during this time? And so they take these um, these really important pieces, like historical stories, and and putting that that Jewish folklore and weaving it into the narrative is just so powerful and amazing. And what they're really trying to do is challenge the reader to think: What if? What if something was different during that time? Or what if somebody would have? Um, stood up or spoken out or what, what if something had happened differently? Well, how would that have changed the history um, and the shameful parts of our history? If something different existed or something different happened. Um, so talk about hybrid texts. Um, this one 
you go through these fantastical graphic novel short stories. And then at the end, they really respectfully make sure that they draw the reader right back into the, the history of it. Cause you get um, a different artistic feel to the last couple of pages of each story where the story has concluded, but then you get the nonfiction narrative. Um, it feels different in artistic style, but also in the writing style where it, it goes from kind of this fiction fantasy to, you know, straight out graphic um, novel version, nonfiction. Um, and so I loved that. I love that they, the, I, I love the creativity behind mashing up the two stories. Um, but I also liked being brought right back into um, the reality of that and the horror of that history. Um, but it's beautiful. Like it's just so beautifully and respectfully done. And it, again, mind blowing, mind blowing that you can take such horrible stories in our history and create fantasy out of them and yet do it in such a heartfelt, respectful way. I don't know how they did it, but they, they, did it that must have been a terrifying thing to come at as an author like to have this idea first of all is just ridiculously creative and then to pull it off like holy cow it's it's so so good I hope they do more um and again I just am all for the the short story graphic novel anthology idea I think it's perfect I think it's relevant I think it will engage readers of all ages um, and I think it will inspire them to want to learn more about history and, and their part in learning it and their part on making sure that we don't repeat certain histories. Right. So yeah, just this one made me cry quite a bit, actually. <laughs> this, um, this suggestion made me think of uh, this place, 150 years retold with the collection of um, various indigenous authors stories partnered with various illustrators. So each short story has a different vibe as far as the pictures go um but i had forgotten until i just picked it up that it also talking about hybrid text includes a detailed timeline of what's happening in canadian history that this the story is connected to and so it's another example of um this short story collection piece and um what i like about it is it from a teaching perspective it's a lot easier to look at one short story in graphic novel form with a group of kiddos um, than it is to sometimes look at the whole novel. And so I, I like that, you know, you could pull whichever one you want, uh, whether it's like the taster or, you know what I mean? Like that you're going to dig into it, but I agree. Um, short stories in graphic novel form is, that's a great idea. We need more of that. Um, so one of the things that we had specifically asked Carrie um, to come rolling with is um, some text that she might suggest in the uh, for the upcoming holiday season to make it a more inclusive in nature. Um, lots of times in our buildings, we stick to a very familiar storyline, uh, for lack of a better phrase, in the holiday season. And so I think it's really important um, no matter if you have this level of diversity in your in your buildings or not, that we take the time to find um, some texts that perhaps approach themes or topics within the holiday season in a more inclusive way. Um, so Carrie, with that, I will let lead you into some book talks of what you might have come up with. Sure. So um, I have a, um, 
a middle grade or sort of maybe a younger middle grade one and a couple of picture books that I wanted to share in that regard. Um, one of them is, is new this year. The other two um, are a little bit older, but I, but I think still bit, like, very, very relevant and a couple of my favorites. Um, so one of my uh, favorite picture books um, about just including everybody in kind of the spirit of holiday and community is called our favorite day of the year. Um, and it's, set on the first day of school it starts on the first day of school where the kids are coming in. And one of the kids makes a comment about how the first day of school is his favorite day of the year. Like just love the first day of school. And another kid kind of challenges that says, well, how can that be? How can the first day of school be anybody's favorite day when clearly Christmas is the best day of the whole year. And that gets all the students talking. And so the teacher decides that she's going to create a show and tell series where each kid is going to do a show and tell of their very own, um, favorite day of the year, um, and come prepared with the, you know, your favorite day and, you know, what does it, what does that mean to you? Why is it important to you? Do you have special traditions or foods around, um, around those holidays? And, um, and so there is such a variety of favorite days that students come with. Um, one of them is actually pie day. There's a student that comes to talk about how they celebrate Pi Day because their family is all about science and they celebrate science. So um, it kind of extends behind um, um, just specifically religious traditions um, and cultural traditions. So um, I just I really like it. The illustrations are really diverse. Um, the classroom is very diverse and um, um, in nature. But I, I just kind of love that that message of, you know like the, the one and it's starting with like, Oh, you know, Christmas is the best day and how it inspired this conversation of, of community and what holidays mean to, um, to different people in the class and how that builds their empathy and understanding for one another. Um, so that's one of my favorite, um, picture books on the topic. And then another one, um, that actually Becky recommended, um, to me, which I wasn't familiar with until her recommendation came out in 2019. It's called winter cake, a winter and holiday book for kids. And, this one is really, really cute. There's a little bit of a mystery that goes on where this uh, this animal is trying to gather the ingredients to make their winter cake uh, um, to share with the friends, but loses all the ingredients somehow. And so there's some some trying to figure out, well, did somebody steal the ingredients or what happened to the ingredients? And and as they're trying to solve this, this little mystery, um, they're talking about what the winter season means to them um, and and sharing with with friends and family. And then at the end, they all they all determine that uh, that the mystery of the ingredients going missing was just this character got lost in the wonder of winter and and catching snowflakes on his tongue and and left the ingredients behind and uh, and the, just the reminder of what the holiday season is all about is sharing, um, sharing and caring with your friends and your family all around you. And the illustrations are really whimsical, um, kind of chaotic at times with all the different <laughs> animals in the scenes. Um, there is a, a fair amount of text in it. So you get uh, a really well-developed story, um, but it's just kind of, a, um, a, I guess, a more subtle way of talking about holiday, the holiday season and what it means without necessarily being specific to any one particular holiday. And I, I do have one more. Did you, I didn't know if you wanted, did you? Okay. Yeah, um, do it. Okay. So I'm going to do the, the last one. Um, this one is called, um, Selma writes a book by, uh, Danny Ramadan and illustrated by Anna Braun. So this is actually a little, um, early, early chapter book, kind of like, like I would say grade 
three, four-ish age, age range. Um, you might be familiar with Danny um, Ramadan's picture book called um, Selma, the Syrian chef that came out a while ago. And so he's now created a, a chapter book series about this same family. Um, and Selma and, um, and her family are um, going, going to be celebrating um, a holiday and they're, they're getting all their food and everything together. And her uncle shows up with his husband. And so there is tension that Selma can feel between her mother and her uncle. And she doesn't understand. She's about to become a big sister herself because she's found out that her mom is pregnant. She's trying to write a book about how to be the, the best big sister ever. And she's not understanding why her mom can is, is not being overly kind to her, um, her uncle. Um, so she starts to um, ask a lot of questions and, and the whole idea of this book is coming at solving differences and problems from a place of love. And so uh, Selma's uncle is really patient and understanding with Selma's mom, because she's like, you know, Selma, like you have to understand that your mom and our family come from um, this series of traditions that we grew up with and like traditions and expectations and sometimes those traditions and expectations are hard to um, apply in another country, right? Like, so we're in Canada now where, where it's okay for me to have a husband, but where we're from, it wasn't okay for me to have a husband. And it's going to take your mom just a little bit longer to understand. But in the meantime, we're going to be patient with her. We're going to have lots of good conversations just because we're going through this little troubled spot. Doesn't mean we don't love each other. We love each other very, very much. We're just not understanding each other yet. But, but if we keep talking from a place of love, we will come to understand each other. So I love the tenderness about, um, how they approach the situation and how, again, like the, the family traditions and the holidays um, are, are all about family and the food and, um, and everything else, but also the fact that the kids around the table can pick up on some of the tensions that are going on. Um, and I'm sure that across the board, a lot of our kids, um, we, live, we live in a time where things are politically charged and there feels like, it feels like there's a lot of divisiveness. And, and I wonder like how many holiday conversations are happening around the table where we're not really recognizing that, Hey, like how much of this are the kids picking up on? Like, especially the younger kids and, and how is that impacting their understanding of our, of our holiday traditions? And is this the holiday tradition that we want them to remember is that our holidays are full of, of tension or that our holidays are full of conversation and understanding, even if we don't agree at the end, then um, maybe we can build that in. So um, that was the other one that I wanted to um, to chat about in terms of building diversity into holidays and understanding different, different cultures. And I just think that that whole, like I said, the notion of, um, kind of internal disagreement between families at given times kind of creep their way into the holidays. And, uh, I just think this is such a tenderly written, um, book on that topic for both kids and adults to, um, to read and discuss. Thank you for sharing that. And and all of these books, my goodness, I, I'm, I'm still not going to read a horror story. <laughs> a person has to know their limitations, but I'm not discriminating against horror books. <laughs> I'm just a discriminating reader. <laughs> There's a difference. <laughs> Carrie, you're awesome. Uh, we know you're the energizer bunny of this book talk business. And, and uh, there's not a book here we talked about last time.
Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. As you know, I can talk about books for days and days and days. So um, I hope that I was able to grab a, a selection from across the board that would meet um, a variety of readers' tastes and needs. And, you know, you might not read the horror, but now you know one to recommend if you have a fan <laughs> that wants to, um, to pick one up. Great. Um, but yes, um, I cannot say enough. Accountable, accountable, accountable. You all need to read it. And maybe there's an idea for a future podcast for you. And if you do have a podcast, you know, maybe specifically about that type of book or, or social media and kids, then I would love to just sit on the sidelines and, and listen to what you all <laughs> have to say about it. Perfect. Thanks. You've introduced us to a number of Canadian authors, a great range of books, and, and once again, a beautiful episode. Charlie, any last words? No, just super grateful, Carrie, for the wisdom and knowledge that you bring to these spaces and constantly share with teachers. We are better equipped to do our work because of the beautiful work that you do. So thank you so much. Excellent. So ladies and gentlemen, that concludes another episode. And we uh, certainly invite you to subscribe and check out the previous episodes if you have not already. And we will be with you again in a couple of weeks time with another episode of our podcast. Thank you and take care.